this morning we're going to be in the Gospel of Mark, Mark chapter number 2. And we're continuing our series on encounters uh, with Christ and how we uh, encounter the Lord and just what uh, Scripture reveals to us of people that encounter the Lord. Last week we looked at uh, encountering Christ through the storms. And uh, you can remember those uh, disciples were on the boat, the storm came upon them immediately, and what uh, Christ tells them, you know, not to be afraid. And this morning, we're going to look at encountering Christ through a roof. I'm sure probably some of you are looking at that going, I have no idea what in the world he's going to be talking about. Um, But this story here, I, I see this as being probably one of the most interesting stories um, in God's word of somebody that encountered Christ. And you'll see that as uh, Mark writes here in the testimony that he writes about um, what the people said about what all took place uh, just in these short few verses that, uh, that happened. And really the healing and the encounter that happens here is truly a miracle. I mean, it's amazing what, what God does in their midst and what he, he performs as a miracle in front of them. And, but more than amazing is what that God did uh, through this is that um, when we think about what God did... You know, more than just the healing, I think when we look and see what, what God accomplished through this, and we meditate upon it, we think upon it, I think it could be a really good help uh, to our Christian life uh, as well. So we're going to jump into this uh, text here, Mark chapter number 2, uh, beginning in verse number 1. And let's see what this encounter was through the roof. It says, And when he, Jesus, returned to Capernaum, after some days, it was reported that he was at home. And many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and they came bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Verse number 6. Now when some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your hearts? Which is easier to say to the, to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Verse number 10, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And he arose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all, so that they were all amazed and glorified God. Now notice this, saying, we never saw anything like this. What an encounter that this must have been. I mean, this, can you picture the scene here? A paralyzed man, he could not move, he was incapacitated, he had no power whatsoever to move on his own. 
They encounter this, this crowded room. They, they, these men, they're thinking to themselves, we got to get this friend of ours to Jesus Christ. And so what do they do? They, they, they come up with this plan. Let's, let's get a cot. Let's get this bed together. And four men are carrying this man to Jesus. And when they get to the room there, it's crowded. I mean, it's bursting at the seams. They can't even get into the door. There's so many people in there because Jesus Christ is in their teaching. And so what do they do? They carry the man. I mean, can you imagine this? Here's this guy laying on this cot. He can't move. And they said, we're going to get you to Christ, but we're going to have to go through the roof. And can you imagine this man's probably laying there and maybe they got ropes and they start hoisting him up to the top of the roof there. They get to the top of the roof and they literally tear the roof off the house and lower him down in the presence of Jesus Christ. Back in those days, the roofs were made of beams and, and uh, pretty much like reeds. You'd have, you'd have large beams running the length of the house. And then you would have reeds that were running the opposite way. And on top of those reeds, they would put uh, some type of a dirt or some type of a grass, something like that. So that way it provided a covering. And can you imagine them? They probably, I don't know if they had shovels or picks. I don't know what they had. But they literally just started breaking things apart. And can you imagine the people in that room as dust starts falling on their head and, you know, a reed probably comes down and they're going, what in the world's going on? And then the sunlight breaks through and here comes this cot being lowered down. What an encounter that that must have been. You know, there's only one other recorded account of this encounter and it's recorded for us in Luke chapter 5 verses 17 through 39. And in both of these accounts, they record to us exactly what, what happens and, and what, what God is doing in this. And there's some slight variation uh, with the details. But Mark here tells us about them literally ripping up the roof and lowering uh, this man down there. So what can we learn from this encounter? Well, I want to give you a few things here about this. Number one, the faith of friends. The faith of friends. Look at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 through 5. It says, And when he returned to Capernaum after some days, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together, so that there was no more room, not even at the door. And he was preaching the word to them, and notice this, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, it says he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. You know, sometimes in our life, God uses those who he places in our path to help us get to Christ. I want you to think of all the people in your life that God had used to get you to Jesus Christ. It could have been a praying mother. It could have been a praying grandmother. It could have been a friend. It could have been a relative. But people were used by God to get you to Jesus Christ. And these four men were determined to bring this man to Christ. You see, I believe that there are no accidents with God. 
Everything is planned and purposed out in our life by God. He is completely in control of every situation. And God is always in the scene, always in the background, and He's working and He's orchestrating certain things to bring people to Himself. And in this case, He used four men to bring this man to Christ. Now, you know, I think about those four men. Were these men, did they know each other? Were they friends? Were they family members? The Bible really doesn't say. Could it have been that maybe this paralytic man was laying somewhere and and these men were on their way to go hear Christ and they see this man laying there and they say, this man needs to get to Christ. We hear that he could heal people. Could that have been the possibility? I don't know. Could it have been that maybe there was only two of them that were carrying this man and they were struggling, they were having a hard time and they saw two other people and they came along and helped them? I don't know. But what we do know is that there were four men that helped bring this man to Christ. You see, many times God is using people to help you encounter Christ. He does this in the daily routine of life. Notice the text. Why did these men choose to go? Whose idea was it? Did they by chance recruit help along the way? Were these four men that brought this paralyzed man related? Did they know, did they know this man? Whatever this, the scenario was, God used these four men to bring him to Christ. You know, I can't tell you how many times that God has used people in my life to help me along my spiritual journey. Could have been a phone call, an email, a text. Could have been a letter. When I was uh, in Bible college... I can remember um, I was praying about, you know, where God would have me to minister. And uh, my wife and I, we, at the time, we were engaged. We were planning on go- getting married. And here I am. I'm going to be graduating. And I'm just like, you know, I'm not sure exactly where God wants me. But I'm, I'm, my heart's maybe kind of set maybe to go towards Colorado. I was originally from uh, New Mexico. So, you know, I'm looking at Colorado as, a, as an opportunity, maybe. And I start praying about it. I sent out a hundred uh, resumes out to pastors out in Colorado, just seeing if they were um, looking at hiring, seeing if there was anybody needing help out there. Out of the hundred that I sent out, I only got back about 15 of those. And those 15 that I received back, uh, they were things saying like, uh, the church does not exist anymore. Um, we, don't, we don't have a way to help you. But I received a letter from a pastor that was out there in Colorado. And that letter that he sent to me, he took the time, he sat down, he wrote a letter. And God used that man, I never met him, God used that man in my life to get me and give me direction in my life. Obviously, I didn't wind up in Colorado. But you think about the people that God has placed in your life and your spiritual journey. God uses people. And he's always working in the background. You know, many times in our Christian life, we become powerless, incapacitated, and almost too weak. And God, at the right time, sends somebody along to help and carry our burdens and help us through our life and in our difficulty as we encounter Christ. You know, sometimes God sends the right person along to encourage you and strengthen you and challenge you. Could it be that God is wanting to use you 
to help somebody along in their Christian life. Somebody to come along and carry an end of the cot. Somebody there to help somebody get them to Christ. What about in your community where you live? Do you know the people that you live around? Is there, is there spiritual difficulties in their life that God is possibly going to use you to help be somebody to help that person to get them to Christ? What about on your job? What about your family? People that you know. The Bible says here, the faith of their friends. It says, when they, Jesus saw their faith, he said to the man, your sins are forgiven. You see, in the world in which we live, we are surrounded by people who are incapacitated spiritually. We see people every day who can't move, who can't, who can't make it on their own, who are powerless, and they're struggling in life. And you know what we need to do? We need to have compassion upon them, and we need to help carry their load to get them to Jesus Christ. You say, Mike, I've tried too many times. There's too many obstacles. Can you imagine these men here as when they were going to carry this man to Jesus Christ? Can you imagine if they were on their way there and they're coming up to the door and they just see a crowd of people? Well, this isn't going to work. Sorry, can't do anything for you. Guess we'll just take you back where you were. Maybe they were trying to wiggle their way through and and maybe they even got into the doorway there and then they look and they can possibly hear Jesus but they can't even see him and I mean it's wall to wall I mean shoulder to shoulder people are just scrunched in that tiny room there and they can't even make their way in they're packed in like a can of sardines they can't even get in can you imagine if they would just gave up and said well this isn't going to work But they were determined to get this man to Jesus Christ. And so they said, well, the only other way left is, let's go through the roof. No obstacle there. They get on top of the roof, and they start breaking it apart, ripping it apart. And they lower that man down in there. There was no room, not even at the door. They broke up the roof. They were not going to allow any obstacle to come between them and getting this man to Jesus Christ. They were determined to do that. What was driving them in that situation? Compassion. They had compassion upon this man. They realized that he was powerless. They realized that he had nothing that he could do on his own to get himself to Christ. I mean, he was paralyzed. He could not move. And so these men had compassion to get him to Christ. And may we too have compassion on people to get them to Christ. May we too look towards people and try to help them. You see, some people will only encounter, some people will only encounter the Lord because you are in their life. Who has God placed in your life that needs Christ? Who has God placed in your life to help them on their spiritual journey? All of us have somebody. If we don't, that means that our eyes are not open to what God is doing in this world. We're too focused on ourselves. God has placed people in our pathway to help them get to Christ. 
Romans chapter 12, verse 15 says, Rejoice with those who rejoice and weep with those who weep. And see, it's as we carry the burdens of others, it helps us carry them to Christ. Can I encourage you? If God has placed somebody in your life that you know that they need to get to Christ, or if God has placed somebody in your life that you know that they're they're drifting spiritually off track, can I encourage you to continue calling them? Can I encourage you to continue visiting them? Can I encourage you to continue praying for them? Don't give up. If those men would have given up, they would have never got that man to Christ. But somehow, some way, they said, we are going to find a way to get him to Jesus Christ. Keep praying for that fellow believer who is struggling. Keep encouraging others in their relationship with Christ. Keep building and strengthening others up in the Lord. You see, we encounter many obstacles every single day. But keep looking for another way that you can get somebody to Jesus Christ. 1 Corinthians 15, 58 says this, Therefore, my beloved brothers, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord, knowing that the, in, in the Lord your labor is not in vain. God is using us. He wants to use us. And we need to continue to be steadfast of getting others to Jesus Christ. Let me read to you what Galatians chapter 6 has to say about this. Galatians chapter 6, verse number 1, Paul writes and he says, Brothers, if anyone is caught in any transgression, you who are spiritual should restore him in a spirit of gentleness. Keep watch on yourself, lest you too be tempted. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks he is something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one test his own work, and then his reason to boast will be in himself alone and not in his neighbor. For each will have to bear his own load. Let the one who is taught the word share all good things with the one who teaches. Do not, do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever one sows, that will he also reap. For the one who sows to his flesh will from the flesh reap corruption. But the one who sows to the Spirit will from the Spirit reap eternal life. And let us not grow weary of doing good. For in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity... Let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. We have an obligation from Christ, from God, to make sure that we are getting people to Jesus Christ. We are there to carry the load, to bear the burden, to find a way to get people to Jesus Christ. These men had faith. And Jesus saw their faith. He saw their determination. He saw their hearts knowing that these men believed that, that Jesus Christ was the only way to get this man healed. And Jesus, when he saw their faith, he said to the man, the paralyzed man, Son, your sins are forgiven. I want to show you a second thing about this. 
the easiness of how Christ works. Mark chapter 2, verses 5 through 9. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. Now some of the scribes were sitting there, questioning in their hearts, Why does this man speak like that? He is blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And immediately... Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, Why do you question these things in your heart? Now notice this. Which is easier? To say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, he said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. You see, there are two questions that arise from some of the scribes with this encounter. Notice what the questions are. Why does this man speak like that? And who can forgive sins but God alone? Who or what was a scribe? Who are these people? And why are they giving Jesus so much trouble? Well, scribes in ancient Israel were learned men whose business was to study the law. They took great meticulous care as they studied the law. They, they spent time in the word. And they were basically trained men to copy the words of scripture onto new material. Because as those materials wore out, they would copy it on new material. And these men took great skill, great care to make sure that not one word was misplaced. And they had, a, they had a deep appreciation for the words of God. They had a deep appreciation and they loved God's word. They cared about God's word. They wanted to preserve God's words. You can thank the scribes for keeping and preserving for us most of the Old Testament because of their meticulous care of, of copying down every single scripture for us. But the problem was they often worked very hard at spelling out the letter of the law and ignoring the spirit, the heart behind of what the law said. You see, things became so bad that the regulations and the traditions that the scribes added to the law were considered more important than the law itself. You say, that's horrible. Absolutely, that is horrible. You see, if we are not careful, we too can become so enamored with keeping the letter of the law, keeping the letter of things that we ignore the heart behind things. You see, what ends up happening is we make man-made regulations, man-made traditions, rules that ignore the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ and Jesus Christ alone. And these men were thinking in their hearts, why does this man speak like this? He is blaspheming. Only God can forgive sins. John chapter 1 verse 17 says, For the law was given through Moses, but grace and truth came through Jesus Christ. You see, understanding this, we can understand why they had those questions. Why does this man speak like this? And who can forgive sins but God alone? But notice how Jesus deals with this. It says, immediately, perceiving in his spirit, immediately knowing that these men were, were, were thinking about these questions in their heart, immediately, 
Jesus says this, and he says, he fires back, which is easier? Your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know, Jesus says, that the Son of Man has authority, that he has power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and walk. And what does the guy do? Immediately, I mean, here's the guy, he's paralyzed, he can't move. And Jesus says, which is easier for me to say, your sins are forgiven? Or rise, get up and walk. The man gets up. I mean, he's in this cot. He gets up. He picks up his bed. And he walks out. What an encounter. You see, this is exactly how Christ works. Christ always chooses to untangle all the mess and work easily. You know what we do as human beings? We like to confuse things. We like to make a mess of things. We like to add things to to the simplicity that is found in Jesus Christ. And we make it so hard and so difficult for people. But Christ just says it's so simple. Just rise. Pick up your bed and walk. That's all. But we like to... Tangle things up. You see, if there's one thing that people need to know, it is that salvation in Jesus is so simple. It's so easy. It's trusting in Christ and Christ alone. That's it. Christ longs to forgive us. And his word tells us that he is not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. You see, religion tries to make up the questions. Religion tries to to complicate the matter. It tries to drown people in all the mess. and never shows a way out. But Jesus simply says, I will forgive you. The debt has already been paid. So what does Jesus reveal to us in this encounter? Look at verse number 5. Son, your sins are forgiven. Jesus is simply revealing himself. Because what did the scribes say? They said, who can forgive sins but God only? And Jesus says, son, your sins are forgiven. But I'm going to show you that I do have authority, that I do have power. But I'm going to make this man just get up and walk. And Jesus was revealing to those people there that he was God. Ephesians chapter 1 verses 7 through 9 says... In him we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses, according to the riches of his grace, which he lavished upon us, in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of his will, according to his purpose, which he set forth in Christ. You see, Jesus was not just showing the man and his friends that that he could heal. He was showing them that he was God. That you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. I say to you, rise, take up your bed, and walk. I want to show you a third thing here. Our identity in Jesus Christ. Notice Mark chapter 10, verses 2, 10 through 12. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He said to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, Pick up your bed and go home. And he rose and immediately picked up his bed and went out before them all. 
so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, We've never seen anything like this. You see, when this man encountered Christ, he had a condition. He was paralyzed. He was weak. He was powerless. He could not do anything on his own. His body had been crippled. And everywhere he went, he depended upon other people to do things for him. You see, before Christ, I too was crippled. Before Christ, I was powerless. Before Christ, I was a mess. I depended upon others. I was spiritually dead, as what Ephesians tells us. I could not do anything spiritual that pleased God. All my righteousness was as a filthy rags before God. But when I encountered the Lord, He made me to walk. My sins were forgiven. And if you know Christ, the same can be said for you as well. You see, our identity in Christ is revealed as we walk in Christ. What do you mean by that? Well, when we are forgiven, we are called to what? We are called to rise up. Christ calls us to a new life over and over and over again in Scripture. The Scriptures tell us that we are made new in Christ. And as we are made new in Christ, we are to walk in Christ. We are to rise up and walk as what the Bible tells us. We are new creation. We are called to be risen with Christ. Our life now is dramatically different. If your Christian life has not produced, if your Christian life has not produced dramatic differences, I would ask yourself if you really do possess Jesus Christ. We are to rise up in Christ. But notice this, we are to pick up our bed. His bed represented his old life. This man no longer needed to be carried. We too had an old life. The Bible tells us in uh, 2 Corinthians 5, 17, Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. Old things are passed away. Behold, all things have become new. And this man was told to pick up his bed and leave. Can you imagine if he was healed and he was just still laid there? And he said, well, I kind of like sitting on this, this bed. Can you guys continue carrying me? I mean, I can move my legs and everything, but I kind of like being carried around. He wasn't going to live that way anymore. He didn't want to be confined to his old life anymore. He had a new life. And he was told to pick up his bed, carry it on his own. He had the power now to carry it on his own. He had been healed with this encounter with Christ. You see, those who are born again are supernaturally empowered within to live the newness of life. We now have the power of the Holy Spirit living within us, who makes all things new, who allows us and transforms us from the old man to the new man. And this is the supernatural power that we have to live the Christian life. And this power is never-ending supply because there's a never-ending supply of living water that lives within our soul. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 8 through 10 says, For by grace have you been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works, so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand, that we should walk in them. 
Ephesians chapter 4, verses 20 through 24 says, But that is not the way you learn Christ. Assuming that you have heard about Him and were taught in Him as the truth that is in Jesus, to put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and to be renewed in the spirit of your minds and to put on the new self created after the likeness of God in true righteousness and holiness. Has your identity in Christ changed? Do you possess Christ, a new life? Can you say like Paul, I have been crucified with Christ, nevertheless I live, yet not I, but Christ who lives in me, and who, by faith of the Son of God who loved me and gave himself up for me. We are to rise up, we are to carry our bed, and notice this, we are to walk. You see, God's word is much to say about our walk. When we talk about our walk, we don't mean our physical walking. We're talking about our spiritual walk with Jesus Christ. We're talking about our manner of life, how we live life, what we do in this life now that we have Jesus Christ. When we enter into an intimate heart relationship with God through faith in His Son, He becomes our heart's greatest desire. Knowing Him, hearing His voice, sharing our hearts with Him, and seeking to please Him should be all of everything of our life should be encompassing about our walk. He should mean everything to us. Meeting with Him is not an activity that should be reserved only for Sunday. We live to fellowship with Him. A.W. Tozer said that the goal of every Christian should be to live in a state of unbroken worship. We are called to walk now. And Jesus says, so that you may know that the Son of Man hath power on earth to forgive sins. Rise, take up your bed, and walk. You know what people see when they see us? We say, I'm a Christian. I know Jesus as my Savior. I go to church. What they need to see from us is they need to see that we have risen out of our old life. They need to see that we have now taken up our bed and we are walking now by the Spirit of God. We are called to walk in the Spirit and to have spiritual fruit is what Galatians 5, 16 and 22 tells us. We are commanded to walk so that we won't fulfill the desires of the flesh. Romans 13, 14. We look towards Christ throwing aside weights as we walk, that, we, that our walk may become more meaningful, is what Hebrews chapter 1 and 2 says. Looking unto Jesus, the author and the finish of our faith, that we cast aside the weights that are hindering our walk. I remember I was talking to my grandfather, uh, this is before he passed away, and my grandfather served in World War II, up, uh, went up the boot of Italy, marched up the boot of Italy, uh, was over there in Africa, and he told me that they were marching one day, and as they were on a march, there was a, there was a, uh, a nice leather bag that was laying in the, in the way that they were going, and my grandfather saw that. He said, man, that's a nice leather bag. He picks it up. Puts it on. He's marching. He's walking on his way. 
And after a while, he's got his gun, he's got his pack, he's got his boots, he's got all this weight. And he's thinking to himself, what am I going to do with this bag? Extra added weight. What he did? Threw that bag off. He's saying, this is stupid. What am I going to do with this bag? Is he going to carry the bag into war? Is he going to carry it while he's fighting people? It's not what he needed. Threw that bag off. Well, as he went off, he says he looked back. Some other guy picks it up. And as we walk in our Christian life, there are so many things I think that we pick up in our life that we don't need. They're hindrances uh, to us as we live our Christian life. And Jesus tells us that we're here to cast those things off so that we may walk more effectively looking unto Jesus, the author and the finisher of our faith. We should walk that everything, as we walk, that everything that we do should glorify Jesus Christ. As 1 Corinthians 10.31 says, Whether therefore you eat or drink or whatever you do, do all to the glory of God. Let's wrap all this up. Notice what it says here. Because this man, this paralyzed man, picks up his bed, rises up, and walks out the door, the amazement that people have. Notice what it says. It says, so that they were all amazed and glorified God, saying, we never saw anything like this. You know what the world needs to see from us? They need to see us rising up, picking up our bed, and walking. And that they would glorify God and say, I have never seen anything like this before. May we do that. Let's pray.